What's up, Barry? Yes. What's up, Dave? How you doing, man? Doing well. Doing well. Of course you are. Why aren't y'all married then? I've asked seven times. Marriage just don't work for some people. I saw Jennifer today. What? She had the birds tattooed on her hands, just like you said. You're right. She's pretty. Where'd you see her? That's Piggly Wiggly. I think she's staying at a motel nearby there. That's good news. It's real good news. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Grand Gesture, a podcast where I, Dave, your coastal elite, and Mike, the country bumpkin, apply everything we've learned from movies to our love lives. So before we start in today, we have a guest. So we have Barry from the True Romance Film Podcast. Thanks for being here, Barry. Oh, thanks for having me, Dave. I'm very honored to to be a part of this wonderful show. It was actually me that sent out the invite. Don't thank Dave at all. It's this true. is totally my it's idea. True. I thought you were going to shut off your mic. Be quiet. <laughs> I had to take up for myself. Now, Barry, why don't you tell us a little bit about your podcast? Uh, yeah, so if, if you're interested, I, I co-host a podcast with my uh, my live partner, Hiro. It, you can find us over at the True Bromance Film Podcast, a member of the Falling Films Network. Uh, we're basically just uh, two drunk guys that like to uh, have beer, talk about movies, and kind of yell at each other. It's more of about of a... It's a very volatile relationship filled with love. So if you if you like your movie talk with uh, with insults and, and heavy drinking, then we're the show for you. I think so. Right. Not a lot of grand gestures on our show. I guess I would say. <laughs> I thought it was you agreeing to co-host with Hiro. I thought that was the grand that gesture. That is pretty every grand. Uh, well, you know, yeah. I do take a lot of abuse. So, but uh, I keep coming back. I know what that says about me, but uh, I'm there every week. <laughs> Uh, one of the main reasons I, I wanted to bring you on for this one is uh, a recent appearance I made on the True Romance Film Podcast. You have talked, I don't know if to excess about this, but it's definitely a point of interest for you <laughs> that the, the appearance of Matthew McConaughey. So when I reached out to you <laughs> on the Dark Tower, that was that was really the only thing worthy of discussion for that particular <laughs> film when you all reviewed it was the, how concerned you were about his appearance. And I'm like, you know what? He's looking pretty rough in mud. So I want to bring Barry on to discuss this film, which was a bit more warmly received than uh, The Dark Tower. Just for sure. Bit. For sure. Yeah, no, I agree with that. You know, I would have to say, man, I, I, I'd i say he's dirtier, dirtier in mud, but I think he's still handsome. But when he loses all that weight for uh, Dallas Buyers Club, man, now he just looks sick all the time. Like whatever, whatever handsomeness he had in his soul was in that body weight. And once he lost it all, it was gone. Like he's just, <laughs> he looks like a homeless guy now all the time, man. I'm very disappointed in, uh, in Matthew McConaughey. He can't seem to, can't seem to get it back. See, I really, really like where this podcast is headed because episode two, and we are already objectifying men. Yes, <laughs> as it should be. Just dudes talking about dude shit, how hot other guys are. So uh, Mud is uh, it's about just a little bit more uh, than that. I actually think it's really interesting for this podcast because it involves men, young and old, uh, discussing with other men. Uh, the women folk in their lives. And so if there was a version, which Dave, maybe you can help me out. I don't know if there is a Bechdel test for, for men on screen. I don't think mm. there is. But no. it would, this mud would resoundingly fail because all they yeah. talk about are women in love with each other. And it's like they don't it's have true. any other identity other than their their partners that they're trying to that attain here. That's fixed in boats. That's it. 
<laughs> but even that, you know, that's that's to impress. That's to get us to the <laughs> women true. folk. So uh, that's a good point. I, I don't want to say the film was a failure at all, though, because I, I'm a big fan. I think most of us on the show are. I don't know if Dave's going to surprise us with a secret hatred of uh, this Jeff Nichols film. But uh, uh, the love story here is more about uh, belief or faith for me, because we are introduced to our main character of Ellis, played by Ty Sheridan, who lives in DeWitt, Arkansas, with his parents, who are on the cusp of divorce. So with that particular uncertainty of how long his life on the river will last, his friend Neckbeard, which is a great, great name for a little kid. I don't know if that will translate to prison life <laughs> later for this young man. I thought it was Neck Bone. I thought is his name was Neck Bone. Yeah, I thought it's it was Neck Bone. Oh, I've already fucked it up. I'm thinking of myself, Neckbeard. I'm thinking of like a Reddit <laughs> user. Yeah. You're thinking of the, 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 the trashy white trash, uh, you know, problem growing in the full beard. It's just all down here, but no, the neck. Is it trashy white people or is it is it people who actually don't ever see the sun? That's that's a mm. neck beard, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, I don't know, man. I just it's it's not good. Let's not take away neck bones trashiness here. I mean, he's, yeah. he's definitely <laughs> not, he has yeah. earned those stripes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm picking on a fictional little kid here. <laughs> that's your brand. Yeah. You are real right on it. Fake. They deserve it. <laughs> these these two children that uh, I actually will come around on uh, and respect by the end of the film <laughs> discover character of mud. Uh, that's how he introduces himself. That's how he's perceived. Because as we've talked about, he's pretty pretty dirty. Uh, played by Matthew McConaughey. And he has stranded himself on a small island uh, with the intent of waiting for his old love, Juniper, played by Reese Witherspoon, uh, to come to him, maybe. that's I don't know. He doesn't really have a plan as such just yet, but he, he has placed himself there. And maybe because of his parents' impending separation, uh, maybe it's just having one last adventure on the river, Ellis, with his friend Neckbone, not Neckbeard. Maybe one day he'll be Neckbeard. Take up Mud's quest to help him reunite with Juniper. Mm-hmm. The girl you're waiting on. She's your girlfriend? Juniper. Yeah. How'd you meet her? We grew up together. You love her? I do. First time I saw her was on this river, stuck from here. She saved my life. When the snake died? Mm-hmm. I was younger than you are right now. When I came to in the hospital and she was there, it was like the whole world just split wide open and Come back together now. I knew from then on I'd do anything for. So that's that's our version of meet cute. As I said, it's about dudes uh, talking with other dudes. In this mm-hmm. case, we will not meet Juniper for a long time, but it's pretty much about these two kids, in particular Ellis, buying into this love story that Mud is going to engage them on this quest. They they have to help him out. So we'll start with our, our guest Barry. You know, placing yourself in the the shoes of these these young men, do do you buy into their initial interest uh, of mud that they're they're going to kind of throw in with him? He's a complete stranger, and they certainly don't know Juniper, but they start to do these activities for him to to get him off that island and to get him reunited with his his love. You know, I would say I would maybe believe one of the two characters, and especially uh, Tyler Sheridan's character, 
you know, he seems very uh, susceptible to this kind of grand idea of love. Like you said, it, it ties into his parents impending divorce. I, I think he kind of likes the idea of this sweet romance that can kind of continue a, a life that, that he's so interested in. But but I can definitely see them, uh, at least him, uh, maybe not uh, Nick, Nick Beardbone uh, buying in as much. He, he seems a little bit more worldly, a little more savvy, uh, but he kind of goes along with his friend. But, uh, you know, I, I think McConaughey is... Uh, he he's full tilt here. Like he's laying on that southern charm quite quite heavily. Uh, you know he kind of has the uh, uh, the medallions and you know the open button shirt and and he kind of uh, he's just very rustic and and kind of manly in this movie. So uh, when he's kind of talking, I feel like you really kind of buy into it. I think he's able to sell it. Uh, let's be honest, teenage boys are very stupid and gullible. So you could probably talk them into doing just about anything that you wanted to. But but I think his story rings true. I, I think McConaughey is 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 telling the truth. And I think uh, that, that, that our, our two teens are, are kind of in that time when, when girls are really, really starting to become a very important part of their lives. Uh, maybe not the long-term love aspect of it, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely think that, uh, that it would work. Uh, it worked on me. I, I know that much. And I was uh, almost a four year old man when I saw it. So, I mean, there's still a mystery at that age, right? So sure. Playing into this mystery of who Juniper is probably is very appealing to a teenager because the the opposite sex at that point or love interests or or something far that's something down the line at this point. It's not something any of them have experienced. Right. Well, and I think too when you're that young, the uh, the the yarn that McConaughey is able to kind of spin your imagination can really take you places, you know. And like even though McConaughey might not be embellishing it, I think a young mind could good time to embellish a story of, of, of maybe how attractive she is or how great she is or, or anything like that. You kind of start to project maybe what your perfect, uh, perfect woman is on down the line is, is this kind of grand idea of the one that you want to be with. It's an interesting concept. I mean, cause you know, we, we've all played those games in high school of who your perfect woman was. I think someone relaying the story of, of their perfect woman would help you, uh, really kind of see that picture a little bit more clearly for yourself. And you could, uh, you could want to be a part of that. I think I'm going to toss it to my co-host now who, uh, grew up in, uh, the Texarkana. Oh uh, yeah. Area. So tell us about <laughs> right. your life experience. Does this speak to you, Dave, and your uh, your upbringing? Look, I'm not even going to dignify that with a real response, but I Nor feel like you. how is that accent? <laughs> Coward, that, that yeah. horrible <laughs> Californian right. accent. That's right. Um, but I think this really works, and I think a lot of it is because of McConaughey's performance here. I I think this is his best performance in his career. I mean, I think there's a couple other movies that you could argue for, but this is right up there. And the way he talks about Juniper, it's like that wistful look on his face. Like you, you feel the love that he has for her. And I like that. It's, it's pretty close to the scene where he has to kind of tell Neckbone, like you, you better show me some respect or I'm going to, I'm going to teach you the respect that your daddy never taught you. And I like that you get these two sides of him right away. But the thing I was thinking about is how these two kids react to it. I think it's really interesting that they react in very different ways where our main character, whose parents are probably going to go through a divorce near the beginning of this film. He really buys into this idea of romance and really he needs this to be true. Whereas the other kid who doesn't really have parental figures, he's got an uncle, he's got Michael Shannon's character here um, who is kind of, you know, that's a parental figure. (laughs) Well, it is, but it's not, it's not your standard parental figure and he's not, in any kind it's of better, stable, is what you're he's saying. not in any kind of stable relationship. So he views this as kind of like, whatever, man, I'm only along for the ride because my friend seems to believe in this and I want to make sure that he doesn't get hurt. So I find their reactions to it really interesting. There's probably not a lot better to do in rural Arkansas other than kind of go out to this island in the middle of the river to meet some hobo in a dilapidated boat either. It's not like exactly he's going to be uh, out there tearing it up in, in the town, I think. So, 
you know, yeah, we're going to dive for pearls. You're better off. Oh my God. With that homemade diver's helmet, man. Like there's oh, no way that thing would thing. work. There's no way. I don't get like a garden hose and some kind of like fish pump. There's no way that thing would work. That's the least viable part of this movie. I think I'm just going to admit, I didn't do the appropriate research to refute those claims. <laughs> I, I didn't pull up <laughs> my diving gear uh, charts and didn't study that. Uh, but it does speak to something that I was going to throw out there, which is uh, clearly I think Nichols is going after some sort of timeless quality. Like it's, it's not, I mean, as far as I know, it's set in, in modern times. Like, they don't go out of their way to say this is uh, stand by me. You know, this is not a flashback to someone's youth. But I think because of the location and probably the um, economic situation that these particular kids find themselves in, this family, like, uh, clearly Ellis, I mean, it's pointed out many times that his family's kind of struggling. Like, and because they're struggling, that's what's contributing to the divorce. And thus that domino effect is this, if they don't live at this residence and they can no longer work on that river, that's all of that blows up and goes away. But I, I'm thinking of, of Neckbone here, you know, it, it's a little bit nostalgic that he still gets excited at mm-hmm. like lady mags, like out in the woods somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Like you would think now, how, how much would that apply? Those kids can't afford the internet. Look at their families. That's see, that's look at this. Look at the judgment yeah. we get from the coastal elite <laughs> yeah. already. This, the snobbery <laughs> throwing it about. You're a real bastard, Dave. You know, that's not nice. <laughs> I just can't believe it. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's true. Tell me I'm wrong. Not one of you has said you're wrong. You've just said you're mean. <laughs> uh, I'm sure they have a library there that you could, uh, you know, request uh, access on every every so often. But is, does the throwback nature contribute to the, the adventurous spirit of these kids that they're willing to? Because like, if it was is you know kids who have uh, a little bit more means or you know kids in the city would they even entertain uh, as Barry called this hobo that's saying hey why don't you run some errands for me and go steal some parts for this boat or they just they get on their iPad or you know what I mean or they get on right. their cell phone and they would be they would already be too tuned in to what their peers are up to and this is very old fashioned that you know any interac- interactions they have which Ellis will eventually have uh this this sort of older girl crush uh like a high school girl uh, it's it's meeting up in town. It's not that far from like American graffiti in that way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I thought it was it's actually pretty smart that like the setting contributes to actually making this story make any degree of sense if you set it, if you're setting it in modern times. No, I absolutely agree. I, and, and like you know, Dave so so joyfully pointed out these poor these poor kids <laughs> that have to look at a magazine because they don't have the internet. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, their their second rate education and their nudie mags. How dare they try to live a decent life? Um, hey, I didn't bring up their education. That was on you. I stopped myself <laughs> from making that joke. I actually, thought it, I actually thought it was more offensive, Dave. I thought you you were talking about their like pornographic education was like subpar. <laughs> implied well, in your is, tone. But... Um, yeah, but no, I, I completely agree. I think the economic standpoint does work because I mean, if these were you know city kids, they would. They would treat McConaughey as, as as some kind of circus act, you know. They'd probably try to bring a, another homeless guy for some kind of bum fight so they could record on their iPad <laughs> and then upload. You know, like there's no way that they would they would definitely try to uh, sabotage him at every turn. There would be no way they would be supportive of Matthew McConaughey and his endeavors. As much as I I really adore this film. I have to admit, there is an alternate version where <laughs> these kids are saboteurs fucking with this man's tree boat <laughs> and uh, hiring other bums to come fight him in the woods. 
That would be greatly entertaining. And they could just cut his trout line every now and then. They could just really just mess with him in a constant, you know, just a constant uh, stealing the the snake shirt. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I, I had not thought of that. But um, <laughs> God, why am I so mean? I don't understand. <laughs> why do I think of these things? I, I'm blaming Dave as as usual. So <laughs> let's let's move on to our to our breakup here because that gets us into the actual quest aspect of the film where the two boys are caught stealing parts for the, the tree boat. Dave, you talked about the frontier of Neckbone. Really, his only skin in the game, other than the friendship, is that the, the boat will be traded for a pistol. You know, eventually right. he's, he's got some sort of tangible good that will be coming to him. But, you know, this, this sort of brings the relationship that, in particular, Ellis has with Mud uh, to, to a head here, because when he's caught, he is shamed by his parents for becoming a thief. And this becomes too much to bear when Ellis pretty quickly, you know, he suffers an early breakup with his first love, which uh, I think that he's a pretty confident young man, but I think he's not that confident when it comes to, as we talked about the opposite sex just yet. And I think Mud's storytelling and this, this quest for love has really inspired him to, to get the courage to talk to uh, this girl that he has a crush on. And so when things start to fall apart for Mud and his quest for Juniper, it also is mirrored with, with Ellis. And this results in a confrontation what she say? You're a liar! Making two kids run around doing all the work because you're too scared to do it yourself? Making me tell her it's over because you're too scared? You said you loved her and you lied. You gave up on her and she gave up on you. Just like everybody else. I trusted you. Bonfires and crosses and wolf's eye. Bullshit! Oh, come on, Ellis. Every single thing you told me was a lie! You never cared about her, and you never cared about us! Not enough to matter. You used us. You made me a thief! Let me talk to him. Basically, he's he thinks that he's been made a fool of by by mud, and he's he's lost the faith in in this particular love affair between the two of them. So, I'll I'll toss it to to Barry. It's it's interesting for you know this podcast we're going to be looking about different aspects of romance and film, and in this case, it's a young man who is looking at someone in sort of a mentor role, and he feels betrayed by this guy that he's he's been led to believe by this man. This is how the world works. Uh, so does does the breakup here work for you? Do you first off do you believe that else would be that troubled by this revelation? And second, do you like that it's you know the love story here is really about these these two guys and and they're they're different different quests that they're on, but they're, they're sort of sharing the same thing at two different age points. Yeah, I think I really buy the uh, the, the kind of breakup, if you will, because I think especially for um, I really think Ellis, like you, you mentioned, Mike, he's got a lot going on. I mean, his, his parents are divorcing his, you know, older girlfriend has kind of basically just dismissed him as a kid. Uh, and now, you know, his idol is is also coming up short in the love game. So, I mean, this guy, you know, it's, that's three strikes in a, in a relatively short period of time for him. So I could see that really being a, a, a crushing defeat uh, to, to someone's idea of what this, you know, grand romantic gesture would be. Uh, because, you know, when McConaughey is selling them this uh, this idea of of juniper it, it makes it sound like there's no there's no way that once she finds out that he's waiting for her that they won't be reunited right i, I mean there definitely seems to be this this idea that they are truly meant to be 
uh, together. But but when that doesn't necessarily come to be true, um, you could really see how Ellis in particular would take that a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, to his core. Like because he just like he himself has been shot down. Now this idea, this grand gesture that he sees, uh, this ideal love maybe in his mind is also uh, breaking apart. Plus his parents, like it just really all these things combining kind of can crush and weigh him down. I, it just really works. I, I don't know if I believe his reaction as much um kind of the 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 tiny tantrum and then kind of you know sprinting off into the woods like like a like a six-year-old it's very raw and open for a teenage it is to express himself in that way right um but you know and also the thing too we'll we'll kind of get back into dave's favorite uh point of this these these poor dumb hicks uh you know (laughs) uh growing up in a in kind of a similar area i think there's definitely and not saying that this doesn't exist elsewhere but i dumb hick you dumb hick. How dare you, Mike? You dumb hick. But no, I, I definitely think there's an aspect that also adds to it with the uh, the disappointing of his parents, you know, I mean, the idea of, of, of stealing and robbing and things like that kind of going against even like, I mean, these people are dirt poor, you know, they have they have no money to buy anything. But that doesn't mean you should ever still steal it. So just all these things kind of combining and adding up. I could really see him uh, being very defeated by this 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 whole turn of events for him and this relatively young stage of his life. I want to jump in here for for Dave uh, ruins half of our please our do please uh, do because I feel like he's gonna he's gonna insult some more more people in their, their economic <laughs> situation. But there's a question I, I have for you, Dave. Do you buy into like that that line where he says you turned me into a thief and he calls Mud a liar? Do you think that he actually believes? Mud is a liar, or do you think that Ellis? Because on rewatch, I was thinking that maybe he thinks that Mud wasn't lying, but that he's turning into Mud. That he sees a direction in his life where he is going to be a hopeless romantic that turns into uh, some sort of criminal. Because obviously, Mud is not just hiding out there to be closer to Juniper. He's hiding out because of these crimes he's committed in her honor, and in a way, he's now done that to Ellis. Ellis has committed crimes in her honor. And I felt like maybe that line, he even Ellis doesn't buy into the fact that Mud's a liar. It's just that it's like you've made me like you now. And that's I'm being shamed by my parents because I've I've turned into I'm gonna turn into the hobo in the tree boat. <laughs> as much as my buddy thinks that's cool, uh Ellis probably doesn't want to go entirely in that direction, even if he likes the love story uh, angle of Mud's story. Yeah, I mean I think that's that's a great reading of that scene, especially when you pair it with the fact that there is a there's a scene earlier where Sam Shepard's character is shaming Mud for kind of everything he's doing. And I love, I kind of love the fact that the kids don't get to hear that they're far enough away that they know he's tearing into him, but they don't know why. And I think he's getting a talking to. Yeah, exactly. From a father figure, which they've, they've all kind of experienced at some level or another. And I think the, in a weird way, the worst thing that mud did was give this kid hope as far as like romantic relationships are concerned, because he's grown up in this house where things are falling apart. And I think if things had just kept going there and he hadn't met Mud, he's not going to be the kid who makes the big romantic gesture. But he sees what Mud is doing and he buys into it so completely that he's like, oh, this must be what it's like. So when he finds out that Mud isn't really who he says he was or he's not going as far as maybe he thinks he should, like that is a huge – it's a huge betrayal for this kid. Because he had he had finally started to believe in something that was a little bit that was a little bit above him and a little bit beyond him, and then for that to come all crashing down, that's why his reaction to me absolutely works. Like I didn't have that problem with it. Like I can see watching it going like, well, that's a little either too mature or too immature, depending on how you look at it. 
but this is the ultimate betrayal for him. He finally found someone and something he can believe in, and then it's all just kind of yanked away from him at that moment. And I think you're right. I think he does see himself becoming mud, especially as his, like— young relationship kind of falls apart and he sees everything that's going on with mud he and he gets shamed for stealing like he's like where do i go from here i, I think something you said is, is dead on where especially like in adolescence like uh there's a lot of things that feel i mean you're dealing with very mature issues at that point you're dealing with uh-huh. sort of the early stages of becoming adult with some more responsibility developing relationships on your own but you don't really have the tools yet right to, to handle it so i think i think it is like it is a messy moment in the film uh that i really like because up to that point those characters are very controlled like those uh-huh. those those young guys even when they're dealing with like gangsters from texas <laughs> they're pretty stone cold i mean one of them gets slapped around and just you know, just sort of picks himself back up, and it's it's not like he weeps or flees. It's just like he he stands his ground. He gets he gets takes a shot in the mouth, but you know he he doesn't really go on about it. Yep. Um. So I I think it's it's true to the characters. Now, I do want to move on to the, the grand gesture here because, I mean, you really you could say that the whole film is predicated on a grand gesture. I mean, Mud's uh-huh. uh, isolating himself on the island is a grand gesture. Uh, the kids attempting to fix up the boat. Uh, he murdered somebody. I was going to say that's a pretty that, grand gesture. He it, it, shot some dude. Like that's pretty grand. <laughs> Maybe not. I smart. was I was about to I was about to throw Ellis a bone saying that he you know he slaps around a bigger kid. And I was yeah. going to save the murder for last because now you now you've just undercut what Ellis did with with months <laughs> outright ruined it murdering again. of a man. You ruined it again. You're, you're just like that older high school girl. You're just not impressed with Ellis at all because <laughs> not Mud enough killed someone. Yeah. <laughs> I actually like okay so yeah we'll talk about that just briefly. I like that the film doesn't really focus too much on that. Like there's not a flashback to, to mud John Wick style defending <laughs> his woman's honor. The Texarkana John Wick. I like it. I would watch that. I mean with that title, yeah, I would Texarkana John John Wick. <laughs> if they want to reboot, that would be one I'd support. I, I like that what you referenced with Sam Shepard, who is a stone cold badass killer, as we revealed in the third act. He's someone that's not impressed at all with what mud has done so uh, barry what do you think i mean coming from the true bromance show you know very bro centric yes what do you think jeff nichols take is on manhood here and especially those like the idea that you're supposed to protect you know the the other gender and it's sometimes like you know in this case it goes to excess but he doesn't he never has anyone really applaud mud for what he's done in in pursuit of juniper no i I agree with that i I think he never has anyone applaud but i also think he never has anyone really negatively bring it up either it's it, it, it's almost it, it just kind of goes by which is which is odd because it is kind of the grandest gesture i, I don't know where you guys are going to go from here uh, murder in the name of love is is about as high as you can go I, episode three must be uh must be really amazing i can't wait to hear it but um <laughs> i i think nichols does a really good job here because you get various stages of of a man and and i think you <sighs> It's it's definitely very a rural aspect of it. I think I, I think that's one of the big things here. Again, we keep going back to the location uh, and the situation because the whole time you're kind of getting things that you see from multiple characters. You, you know, with uh, with Ellis's dad. I mean, I think his dad kind of is trying to teach him certain things about and aspects about being a man and and you know putting in twelve hours a day selling catfish at restaurants. You know, I mean that that's that's you're making less than minimum wage and it's much harder work in a lot of cases. And just so everything about that, like almost every male to male interaction, I think in this minus, you know, Ellis and Neckbone together, cause they're just two teens. But anytime there's an older person, I, I think there's, 
like some kind of parenting or at least mentorship going on on throughout and it's definitely coming from a very a very masculine perspective, especially when you're thinking about mud and, and what he's willing to do. Uh, and then Sam Shepard's character, obviously as well, because I mean, he, when he decides to, to bring the ruckus, like he really does bring the ruckus. So it, it's interesting. Cause I really, I, you know, I never thought of it from, from that perspective. And it, you know, you were talking about the multiple gestures uh, as you go about, but, but I think that, that this idea of manhood and standing up for the fair sex, for lack of a better word, um, you know, or kind of a phrase that's kind of very southern and country, if you will. It works. I think it fits in the the the, the film, the way it's portrayed. Uh, even though maybe Juniper isn't accepting to that as much, you know, uh, you would think that she would definitely be more willing to reconcile with Mud, considering all that he's done for her and all that he continues to to do for her. And, and when things don't kind of go that way, you can kind of see why the the movie moves in the direction that it does. But yeah, I think Nichols does a very good job of of portraying masculinity and from a true bromance perspective um there's there's definitely not enough drinking but but i think the the actions are very (laughs) are very manly and and very something that i would i would think that i would be in the same boat as you know since the boat's a big uh key figure this thing maybe not murder uh but you know but the idea of of standing up for a woman especially one that's being abused in front of you and things like that i think that's uh that's that's one of the most honorable things you could probably do even if you know you're going to get your ass beat by someone that's you know if you're a teenager 15 years older than you, much bigger, much stronger. Um, I appreciate the, uh, the display that, that, uh, Ellis puts up. You're a good man, Ellis. You made a girl happy because you, you gonna be all right. You're a good man too, Mud. No. No, I ain't, Ellis. That, I mean, that leads me into the, the grand gesture. I think a lot of the the issues that the, the characters are confronting, uh, in particular Mud and, and Ellis, uh, but also Ellis's father, is that they seem to really value standing their ground. And in the case of Ellis's parents, um, you know, we're seeing Sarah Paulson the way she she sort of plays the the mother and wife here. That that's not what she's asking for. She's not asking for them to be completely stationary and to to stay the same. And and Mud does seem to exist solely in the past, right? I mean, he's not having any interactions with Juniper mm-hmm. now. It's all about how great things were and other people got in the way. But as you said, Barry, you know, she doesn't really, through action, show that much interest in reuniting with Mud. She may like the idea of him and think that his heart is in the right place, but his only reaction is with, with violence. And Ellis is similar. I think he's on that path where that's, that's how he is now learning to impress an older girl right. is to punch a guy out. And it just doesn't last that long. Like, you know, eventually you're going to become the Sam Shepard character, like sort of the, the old buzzard across the way. That's, it's a bit isolated because that, uh, how long can you go around proving yourself through acts of violence or aggression and just staying the same? And that's why I really like the, the end of the film because I mean, it's a big gunfight, still bottled up in all that masculinity. There's a lot of death and carnage in an action sequence. But ultimately, it ends in both Ellis having to move on because the house is destroyed. It's not like his parents suddenly get back together after they survive this gunfight. And Mud also has to move on. I mean, he's taken away by the Sam Shepard character. But, I mean, that last visual image is of leaving, leaving everything behind and the unknown. And that's what I really like about them. So for me, that is, that's the, the grand gestures that these characters finally move forward. 
and they're just they're just going to see how things turn out if they do things a little bit differently. I I'm wary of tossing this to Dave because I'm thinking he's going to see this as such a happy ending that they they move to San Francisco or something <laughs> and, and into proper society. So I think the thing that's interesting about the relationships in this movie when you're talking about male female relationships, I think one of the things Nichols is is exploring is this idea of like you have to have a line, you have to have a limit where just okay, it's enough. There's a, there's a scene with Sam Shepard and he kind of tells, he tells McConaughey's character, he tells Mud like, look at everything she's put you through. Like what, how much is enough? Like you've, you've traveled halfway across the country and you're getting nothing out of this except pain. So why do you continue to do this? And I think, I think the way the movie ends, it's, it becomes more about these bonds of friendship than it does about these bonds of romance. Like you have mud after, after Ellis gets bit by a snake, you have him risking everything. Finally, this is the first time he's really risked everything in, in the entire two hours of this movie to bring him into town and to save his life. He doesn't do this to try and go get Juniper. He saves it. He does it to save this kid, this kind of new friendship that he's made. And no matter what Sam Shepard's character says about, like, I'm done, I'm through helping you out, he still comes through for Mud at the end of the film. Not only in the kind of, in the violence that happens, but, you know, saving his life and taking him to freedom. So I think it's interesting that the movie becomes more about the bonds between men, that masculinity, than it does about romance. Which is why we're already off track with this podcast. Episode two, and we've, yep. we've gotten rid of the, the women. There's no, there's no need <laughs> yep. for it. Yep. So. Well, the women in this, none of them want to, like you said, Mike, they, they, none of them seem to want to be in that situation. Uh, you know, Ellis's mom is, is unhappy with her plight in life, living on this, you know, dilapidated houseboat on the river. Uh, she Juniper's, needs to get into society. See, yeah, this is absolutely. She here. needs San, Fra- Stop, San Francisco. Stop She's got to go to San Francisco. <laughs> You're feeding the beast here. <laughs> Look, you know, there, there's a difference between, you know, living in a boat that's sinking and maybe moving into an apartment in town in, in Texarkana, Arkansas, wherever they're from. Like, you know, move to Little level, Rock. It's there fine. Are levels within that same rundown county that they live in. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but no, but Juniper, the same thing, you know, like she's definitely kind of um, uh, unwilling or uncaring about McConaughey. Uh, and, and then Ellis's girl, or, or I won't say girlfriend. I mean, I think they hang out one time, but definitely the there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of love not being returned from women in this film. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, it is it's a, it's a great pick for uh, the grand, <laughs> the grand gesture to kind of come on here and have <laughs> grand a gesture should have been getting a lease, getting an apartment, not shooting somebody. Come on, settle well, down. You push her down some stairs. You know, I mean, you gotta you gotta respect. Uh, it's an excessive link. Push her down some stairs. No, what? isn't that why he shoots the guy? Is because Juniper gets yes, pushed down the stairs. Yes. yes. Okay. No, I'm not <laughs> well, advocating well, for the pushing down the stairs. Now, there's a grand gesture for let's you. Make that clear. I don't Good want God. To, uh, you know, maybe pushing uh, Ellis into the snake pit. I could see that with his little his little tantrum that he throws as he runs away. You're this a is liar. the father on the podcast. Good uh, God! Look, Just throw know, the kid in with the snakes. When you oh, see see that's that's where that's where my father figures would, would actually run out because. Th- the one thing on this earth that, that I just cannot deal with is snakes. So if my five-year-old fell in that, I'd be like, I'll, I'll, we'll have another kid. I'll name him I, Luke. It'll be fine. We'll, we'll, just, we'll go <laughs> in the same direction. It'll all be fine because I can't, I can't do it. I can't get in the snake pit, buddy. There's no way. We're done. We're done here. Normally we ask if uh, you know the, the grand gesture is, is effective here. And I think, I think Barry is, is clearly saying that that was the grandest of gestures. Absolutely. Maybe even more so than murdering a man Absolutely. jumping yeah. into the – 
the pit with the the snakes. Jump so. in the moxen pit, my friend. There, you could do nothing else. That is the that is the pinnacle. That's the mountaintop. I, I could uh, I couldn't see anything. Uh, I couldn't see anything braver being done in this film. That is for sure. Minus diving in that fucking makeshift helmet and garden hose and all these other things. <laughs> There's no way. Given- Drowning. Especially given also that Bud's character has been bit before, and they've set up that if he gets bit again, he's dead. So yeah. he'd risk literally everything for this kid. I, I think Barry was saying that even if there was, uh, you know, the antidote still available to him, he's still not jumping like, in that nah, pit. So I'm not risking Good. it. This We're... may happen to me twice, so I'm going to keep that in my back <laughs> yeah, pocket. Yeah. This could happen by accident. I'm just walking along something, you know, some some nefarious they're, snake they're tracking 20, me down. Twenty thirty minutes away from getting that antivenom. There's no guarantee mm. they're going to make it in time. So, so I think we're all saying that this was this, this grand gesture was effective in the film because we're, I guess, we're all pansies and we're afraid of snakes is that what we're saying absolutely like i think that makes us 90 percent of the world but, you know, yeah like like yeah humans yes we're just we're just no longer the 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 interesting uh, edgy minority here because we're, we're also to a man afraid of snakes <laughs> have so. you ever been an interesting edgy minority have been any of us come on uh, i mean we're only two episodes in so i'm gonna say no <laughs> but at some point by episode 60 I'll, I'll get there at least once don't give me no more goddamn pain Baby, the time has turned the tide I didn't need no ball and chain I got the numbers on my side So we may not have many listeners at this point, but uh, if you've made it this far, you're one of them, and we really appreciate you. Since this is a new podcast, if you would not mind sharing this with friends, uh, family, in particular those family members that you dislike, uh, it's a, this would be a lovely 40-minute gift for them. Uh, but more seriously, if you uh, would like to share this episode on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Grand Gesture Pod. If you have suggestions for future romantic films you would like to see us cover, email us at grandgesturepod at gmail.com. But until we get some of those recommendations, expect our next episode on Silver Linings Playbook with our guests from the Down the Hall movie podcast. You're neck bone, right? Yeah. Word of advice. Don't grow up to be like your shit hill uncle. Hey, you hear me? You treat a woman like a princess, got it? I'm a goddamn princess! Hey, a lot of people are comfortable with that kind of thing in the bedroom. Some people aren't. You know that about you.